Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to our Convention of States podcast, That Provident Article. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the U.S. Constitution, the amending provision, with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States project. My name is Paul Hodson, a volunteer with the Convention of States project in Texas, first as a district captain and now as co-director in the great state of Texas. Our goal is to continually educate ourselves on Article 5, to bring timely information relating to the Convention of States Article 5 movement, and to promote the use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. For more information regarding the Convention of States project, please visit www.conventionofstates.com. We welcome your participation in our podcast, including calling in at phone number 914-205-5632. You can also contact us by email, my email is director.tx.paul at tx-cos.com. My Twitter handle is at directortxpaul. You can find this episode and all our previous episodes at www.blogtalkradio.com slash texasdc4hd58 or on iTunes, search for That Provident Article. All of the music you hear is brought to you courtesy of America's most patriotic rock band, endorsers of the Convention of States project, Madison Rising. Please visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. We begin each episode by reciting the pertinent information from Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. The Congress, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. And then we read our our own specific application that we have. The legislature of the state of fill-in-the-blank hereby applies to Congress under the provisions of Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States for the calling of a convention of the states limited to proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States that impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. Let's go ahead and move on to the news for the Convention of States here on November 21st. I encourage you again to go to the conventionofstates.com. So let's get started. Um, in a radio interview, former U.S. Comptroller General and the Chief of the Government Accountability Office, David Walker, he asserted that America's national debt is over three times the official figure. He was calling it $65 trillion. Now, all kinds of numbers have been thrown out by people. Of course, the $18 trillion, that's the official number that is thrown out by the federal government. Um, you hear folks say anywhere, you know, at 90, 100, $140 trillion. Now we had Dave Walker saying $65 trillion. Uh, early this year, as, as Mark Levin reported in Plunder and Deceit, Boston University professor Lawrence Kotlikoff, he testified before the Senate Budget Committee and saying that the, the real gap, the real 
the real deficit, the real debt, is $210 trillion, and we are adding to that in the about $5 trillion a year, not, not the $483 billion that we added last year uh, officially on the books. The next story up here, uh, a total of $1.23 billion in federal taxpayer money had been sunk in 12 of 23 co-ops created under Obamacare that have gone out of business. So these these businesses, insurance companies keep going out of business. Experts and congressmen say that these co-ops fail because of the artificially low premiums, strict regulations, and too many people requiring payouts. Look, free market doesn't work that way. You cannot lower your premiums, increase your coverage, and expect these companies who are in business to make money to stay in, in business. And so they've gone ahead and gone out of business because it doesn't make sense to stay in business. Too many people are requiring payouts. That means too many people are using insurance who are not paying into it. Department of uh, DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, it's spent $1 billion and 10 years to digitize one immigration form. Now, those of us who are used to the technology age know that many forms now are available to go online and fill things out. I had a jury duty request several weeks ago in which I was able to fill some things out online, even pick the week in which I would be available to go to jury duty. But the Department of Homeland Security takes them 10 years, and they've got one of their over 100 forms now digitized. They expect another four years to, to get the rest of their forms online. So medical workers, here's, here's our first veteran story, and it's not a good one. Medical workers at an Illinois VA hospital say that two prominent lawmakers were aware that veterans were at risk due to rampant medical neglect at this facility, but they neglected to seriously address the problems despite multiple requests. And, and this is getting to be a sad story that we hear over and over again. Our veterans are not being treated well in the VA hospitals the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission officials used a warrantless subpoena on a Texas-based grocery chain that fired an employee who failed a post-maternity leave physical fitness test, and they were demanding the home addresses and social security numbers of every company employee. Now, this is a way to get around the Fourth Amendment, the search and seizure uh, portion of the Bill of Rights, the warrantless search and seizure. There's a, a Veterans Day tribute video, and we encourage you to go out there. It was posted on November 11th. Again, all the stories out there on the website are in chronological order, so we encourage you to, to take it's – a, it's a three-minute video. Take some time. Uh, President John F. Kennedy and his, his salute and his tribute to veterans is read. His, his speech is read through that. Uh, just a, a great, great feeling, a great uh, opportunity to be encouraged about our veterans, those who have, have stood and uh, – protected, maintained the liberty that, which is enshrined in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence. Slide two in our news. Speaking of veterans, veteran Bob Strotter, who uh, was discharged and had had injuries uh, from his service, uh, and he was getting frustrated, and he was hearing fellow veterans being frustrated, but he decided to act on his frustration, with his frustration with an abusive federal government. He got in, he, he'd heard about uh, the Convention of States. He'd heard from Mark Levin. He'd asked some people. He did some research on his own, and he joined the Convention of States project in Kansas. And now when he has opportunity, he speaks to people, word of mouth. He goes to groups and he speaks. And he says, even though he's not an accomplished speaker, this is something he has a passion about. Again, that warrior spirit that, that these veterans have going out, continuing to fight, continuing to defend the Constitution. Uh, I was at a, a veteran salute just this past week. Um, 
Colonel Alan West was there speaking, and as he said, that's that's an oath you take which uh, does not disappear after you uh, become a veteran and after you retire from your military service. Uh, you take that oath to defend the Constitution, and that's a lifetime oath. These veterans take that seriously. We love having them in our fold. They are some of our best supporters here around the nation, uh, here in Texas, around the nation. Terrific people. Uh, we love our veterans, and, and they are our, our best folks. Uh, there's a, an audio out on the site. Mark Levin, speaking of, of strength, is in the States. It's about five minutes long. It's an excerpt from a show, and I'm thinking it's from his November 4th show. But if you have an opportunity and you know how to use your, your podcast machine, I hope you do since you're listening to this, um, look up that November 4th episode from the Mark Levin show. Uh, pull it down from either his website or from his podcast on your on your iPhone apps or your Android apps. Just a, a terrific episode. Or even on the Mark Levin Show app itself, you can pull that up. So there was a jobs report which came out in October, and it, and it was all shiny and everything looked good. But you look deeper at the numbers and you give context to uh, other recoveries from recessions. And the truth of the matter is these look good because our expectations are now so low. The new normal, as some, some politicians have said, to uh, consider the economy. Well, the new normal, these now these reports now look good, but in a in re- other recoveries, uh, the numbers would be at least double what we're seeing in these. So uh, that was just a story in which we're saying, don't be fooled by the numbers. Um, this is not the way things used to be when we would recover from a recession. Well, what would be a news Newsweek without a story from the EPA, one or two or three? And, and here's our first one up. The EPA's got a new regulation, a new rule called Waters of the United States. It expands, again, the definition of bodies of water that are subject to federal pollution controls. And this is of concern to Tennessee farmers. They are very concerned that they are going to be regulated for these bodies of water which are not in the uh, in the waterways which, which feed the aquifers and, and feed the water supply, the drinking water supply. Uh, you know, puddles, things which aren't even streams, but, but you know, marshland. If you live in an area in which there's lots of farming, you're going to have these type of areas, and they are concerned they're going to be violating the regulation, and the fine is $37,500 a day that you are not in compliance. And, of course, there's no oversight from Congress on this. The EPA can run amok and do what they, what they, soever they please, and... Again, we just bring these up to illustrate this is why we are pursuing the course of action we are pursuing with the Convention of States project. The Department of Justice, another department which is uh, abusive of its power. They And talk about abuse. Last year, they took $4.5 billion in private property, from in, which includes cash, cars, and homes from American citizens. And this includes both civil and criminal forfeitures and this was according to a report from the Institute for Justice. Now, what's important about the criminal forfeiture is that made up 87% of that $4.5 billion last year, and those do not require actual criminal activity or criminal charges be brought. It can just be suspicion. We think you might be involved in a crime, and therefore we need to confiscate this property, and now you're going to have to go through all that fun legal mess to prove you know what we assume would be the correct assumption of innocent until proven guilty. National Science Foundation spending nearly $650,000 on a computer game for adults where they can pretend to be a novice world leader. Uh, 
Now, there's nothing wrong with uh, a great computer game, and if it's a great idea, those private companies will spend the money on it. Well, the EPA, again, our next story, they have the Clean Power Plan. It, it sounds so nice, doesn't it? The Clean Power Plan. That, who doesn't want clean power? Well, when, it, when this plan went out for public comment in June of 2014, it called for an 11% reduction in emissions from power plants in the states. An 11% reduction. Now, we might be upset with that, but at least it's something we know. That's a number they gave us. Well, that number has changed over time. It, it was published in the Federal Register in October this year. So in between that time, you'd think there would be uh, witnesses and testimony and hearings and all kinds of things, public, uh, public being informed of what's going on. No, this has all been done with nobody knowing. Now it's been released. That uh, that reduction now is being called, you have to reduce by 40%. On to slide number three of our news. Couldn't have a news Newsweek without uh, a survey. And we've got one this week from the 2015 American Values Survey. It was released by the Public Religion Research Institute. And here's five points we're going we're gonna to highlight from this, from this survey. More than 7 in 10 Americans, 72%, believe that the country is still in a recession. 49% of Americans believe that, that her best days are behind us. And that's an 11% increase from last year's, last year's survey. Almost 58% or 48% of Americans believe crime is a major problem in their community. Now that's up from 33% last year. A majority of Americans, 53%, say that American culture and way of life has mostly changed for the worse since the 1950s. And then finally, only 4 in 10, about 4 in 10, 42% of Americans say that the government looks out for their needs and interests of people like them either somewhat or very well. Um, a story here about Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid. A bill was put forth which would prevent taxpayer funding from going towards oil paintings for members of the government, such as Harry Reid himself. Well, he objected to that. He wants the taxpayers to fund oil paintings of him and other members of Congress and other members of the executive branch. Fourth slide for news, and then then we'll be uh, finished with our, our catch-up on our news for two weeks. Um, another another economic report and another company being hurt by regulations. General Electric Transportation, they announced they were cutting about one-third of their workforce in Erie because of a decline in orders. And the experts there are saying that a big reason involves the various clean air initiatives Again, we're talking about the EPA. Those push states to make hefty cuts in greenhouse gases. Now, on to uh, another department, Health and Human Services, responsible for uh, engaging us with the uh, health care law, the Affordable Health Care Act. Fox News confirmed that the uh, the media budget for just the media, the promotion of the Health and Human Services Affordable Health Care Act is $35 million for the current enrollment period. So there's 38 states using healthcare.gov, and, and we've got a ton of money out there paying to uh, to promote how to use the process. And uh, $35 million, but the story says we don't really know how much because, again, typical government accounting, we really aren't keeping track of the money per se. And so now we're going to have to have an investigation as to how much money is actually being spent, where it's being spent, and who's spending it. Uh, and another uh, another uh, investigation into federal regulations here. A man named Clyde Wayne Cruz. He's vice president of the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He's crunched some numbers. He found that less than one percent of all federal regulations are subject to an official cost-benefit analysis. One percent, less than one percent. 
Even many so-called major regulations never get scrutinized to determine whether they will help or hurt the economy. Look, this is some very basic business in which you say, you know, do we is what we're going to do here? It's going to cost us something. Is there going to be a benefit? Now, if you're a company, it'd be a benefit to us. If you're the government, it's supposed to benefit the economy. They don't even bother doing the analysis. So that news that was posted on the Convention of State sites. But I do want to point you over to the to our other site, the COS Action site, COSAction.com, and under the Volunteer tab, there's a, a a newsletter, a monthly newsletter letter which comes out, the COS Action newsletter. This is actually an interactive uh, online device you can use, and you can pull it up on any of your portable devices if you're having a small group meeting. Uh, to discuss Convention of States. Uh, there are some great ideas out there on how to use this tool. I would invite you, if you're interested in really stirring up some folks, just having a discussion, having some people over to uh, look through what is the Convention of States doing, what does this mean, a great idea there, cosaction.com, volunteer. And uh, final bits of news which aren't posted here. Uh, the Convention of States is growing like crazy, and, and uh, of course, the advertising on the Mark Levin show has been part of it. We had a big surge after the uh, Supreme Court rulings in June, and nationwide, we're having having big, <clears throat> big, big gains in which, you know, it's in the thousands each week. Thirteen thousand, I think, I heard uh, from uh, one of our our uh, national guys I was uh, conversing with earlier this week. Uh, I know here in Texas. Uh, this is one of the reasons which I've been moved up uh, and, and was asked to uh, help out at the state level uh, as co-director is we are just having such a huge surge in interest that uh, we are being overwhelmed. We are averaging the last six weeks, averaging 1,100 new supporters a week. And a lot of folks are, are stepping up to volunteer as district captains or to, for some of the new uh, the new leadership positions, grassroots coordinators, to help with coalitions, to help with the legislative liaisons. And folks, when you have a state as large as Texas, not just in number but geography, it really helps to be able to have people out, uh, not just at the Capitol, but to have some, some folks who are plugged in from a legislative liaison perspective who may have uh, a better understanding of the law to help us out. So uh, we have uh, bubbled up some folks in leadership to, to try and help us handle this. It's a good problem to have. We are going to go ahead now in our presentation and look at one of the big questions that uh, gets posed uh, is when it's called a constitutional convention. And we're going to ask that question, uh, who is it? You know, who, who says it's a constitutional convention? That leads us into our presentation here. Who says it's a constitutional convention? If you have the slides up, slide number one, one of the things we want to say is, is we're not afraid to quote whoever has said something, whether they be used by our opponents or by those who support us. Uh, we're going to see some, some interesting quotes. This is a, just to whet your appetite as to what's coming ahead in the next several weeks on who says it's a constitutional convention and where did that phrase come from and, and why is it important. But here's a, a few bullet points here of examples. And this really became prominent when you start looking through the history to be using this phrase in the 1970s when the balanced budget amendment became uh, started to bubble up in the legislatures. And our example here in Texas, 1977, our resolution, which is still live, a still live application, quote, this body requests that the Congress of the United States shall call a constitutional convention, unquote. Now, in the rest of that legislation, 
they actually still talk about a convention for proposing amendments. They quote Article 5 correctly, but they end up in, in that particular part of the resolution. They ask Congress to call a constitutional convention. Now, a letter often quoted by uh, opponents of an Article 5 convention, an amending convention, is one written by Chief Justice Warren Burger on June 22, 1983. In his opening line to, to Phyllis Schlafly, he writes, I am glad to respond to your inquiry about a proposed Article 5 constitutional convention, unquote. Um, a document that we have, have referenced on this uh, podcast in previous episodes, written by the Justice Department under Ronald Reagan in 1987. The title of that document is Limited Constitutional Conventions under Article 5 of the United States Constitution. Now, they put a qualifier on that, limited constitutional conventions, but yet uh, whoever pre uh, prepared that report put in, put in that phrase, constitutional conventions. And present day, again, our, our uh, opponents quote this man, Justin Antonin Scalia, who has said, I certainly would not want a constitutional convention. Whoa! And the context is very certain there. He's not referring to an actual constitutional convention as was done in 1787. He's referring to an amending convention, and he calls it a constitutional convention. And he goes on to say it can't be controlled. So uh, those those people who think that, look, we just need to get the right president in to select the right type of justices, look, we got some folks who for the most most part, rule in a conservative and what we would call an originalist manner, and yet even Justice Antonin Scalia is calling it a constitutional convention and does not support what is what we believe is clear in Article 5. And the, the last bullet point on here is a man named Professor Charles Black from Yale. And he wrote uh, several, several pamphlets or letters, and, and here's one which was written, an am amendment by National Constitutional Convention a letter to a senator. And uh, just a, a preview of what's coming up, Charles Black is going to feature prominently in our in our next several weeks as we discuss who says it's a constitutional convention. Now, on to slide two, why is this language important? So what? So what if we call it a constitutional convention or a convention for proposing amendments or an amending convention? Or as Mark Levin might say, why don't we just call it a comquat? Well, Language and terms are important, and as Voltaire said, if you wish to converse with me, define your terms. And if you can wrap something up in a term and a definition, it can change the way debate goes. And in the book by Will Durant, The Story of Philosophy, we read this. How many a debate would have been deflated into a paragraph if the disputants had dared to define their terms? This is the alpha and omega of logic, the heart and soul of it, that every important term in serious discourse shall be subjected to the strictest scrutiny and definition. It is difficult and ruthlessly test the mind, but once done, it is half of any task. Will Durant, boy, and I second that. The great amount of time and education we have done at the Convention of State Project the last two years has really been on this issue and has been dealing with when, when they start talking about the runaway convention, they will talk about the constitutional convention in terms which are not accurate historically, and then they will parallel that with what they believe is going to happen now, and they will wrap that term constitutional convention around what Article 5 is representing when it does not represent that in order to sway the vote. And when you define your terms in that manner, it gets very difficult 
to handle a debate. And so it, it's very important that we know our terms, that we we define them before we get started, that we have an understanding and we're on the same page. And that's what we're going to be be looking at over the next several weeks as to why has the debate turned that way? And again, you look at resolutions before the 70s, they didn't use that term constitutional convention. Why did that term come into use, into use even by people that, that we would respect and that we, that held to holding an Article 5 convention but also called it a constitutional convention? Uh, there is reason for that. We're going to dive into it. Our attribution here, we are not afraid to show where we get our, our information from. And that's slide three. Well, enough of me, though. Let's go ahead and go to our phone lines. Again, our call-in line is 914-205-5632. If you have any questions about Convention of States, any comments you'd like to make, any encouragement for other subject matter, other lines of discussion we might want to have, our ground rules are, are pretty simple. Speak respectfully. We don't want foul language. No derogatory, defamatory remarks, no shouting or yelling. You can be passionate and you can be uh, exhorting, but no shouting or yelling. We want to keep to the subject. We want to encourage dialogue so that we pause and listen to each other, not talk over one another. Again, 914-205-5632. And here we are live, and we have no callers at this point in time this morning. I'll go ahead and vamp here for just a moment. We will be pursuing further this Who Says It's a Constitutional Convention in the next several weeks. We're also starting to line up some more interviews, and uh, I personally think those work much better than just these presentations. It's great to hear someone else speak of Article 5 and of the Convention of States project. People who are on the inside, we will eventually be interviewing even some state legislators and some other folks on the inside, we're going to interview some folks who are involved in the Convention of States project, uh, not just here in Texas, but some folks in some other states. We want to interview even some volunteers, people who are doing the real groundwork, the legwork that has to be done at the Convention of States project, the people who really make this happen by being involved with their supporters, with their volunteers in their own district, and of course having that influence with their either their state representative, state assemblyman, whatever whoever that whatever that title might be, and with their state senators. Um, we really want to get the word out of, of what some of these other folks are doing, what's been successful, what they have found to be very helpful. Again, this this podcast is aimed at all of us who are working on the convention. What information can we share with each other? What is it we need to know about how the politics works in our state? What is it we need to know about how legislators think, how they react to influences from lobbying groups, from advocacy groups. This is for us. So if you have any suggestions, any comments, any remarks, you can go to the Blog Talk Radio site. That's Blog Talk Radio backslash Texas for Texas DC for HD 58. I had to mess that up for a moment. Uh, my email address, and I've, I've got a new one just to handle this, director.tx dot paul at tx-cos.com so you can get an email to me there uh, i also have a twitter account which is just brand new director tx paul and if you want to follow me on facebook paul hodson and we're going to go ahead and close out again with madison rising sure love them being endorsers of the convention of states and that will do it for another episode of that provident article we want to again give a thank you to madison rising 
Go visit their website at www.madisonrising.com. I especially want to again send you to www.conventionofstates.com. If you haven't volunteered, if you haven't signed a petition, become a supporter. Please go out there and do so. Get involved with your state legislatures. Get involved with your state team in whatever state you're in. And again, a big thank you to the Texas Convention of States team. Thank you to all the listeners here. We appreciate it. And we'll listen to Madison Rising and America the Beautiful. <laughs> 